Uh, this is the 13th Floor Listen to Event, a WBM production at TVJ Radio. Uh, if you want to tune in, you can go to Facebook, Lehman Concourse, or YouTube, TVJ Radio. I'm here with uh, Mr. Richard Bass. And I'm Richard Bass, CEO of WBN. We belong network. And Wendell Solano. And um, I'm Wendell Solano. Uh, our uh, topic is distance learning in COVID-19, and I'd like to let our guests introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Rachel Summers, and I am a music elementary school teacher, K through five, in the city of Suffolk. Hi, I'm Miss Fedricks. <laughs> you can call me Jerry. <laughs> okay. Hi, my name is Christine Barbosa. My background is in the health field. I'm a medical assistant. Thank you. Um, so I guess the first question will be, uh, what are the challenges and wins of teaching through uh, virtual learning? Do you guys do virtual learning in your school system? Okay. If uh, we call it remote learning, which is okay. also the same thing as virtual learning. And yes, we are doing it at this moment. Okay. How about you, Rachel? Um, for the city that I'm in, we have been sending home paper packets to the students because not everyone in our city has a computer and we didn't have enough computers to be able to give everyone one to take home. Wow. However, many teachers are online using online platforms to reach as many students as they can. So I know for me personally, I teach music that hasn't been a priority of the city as far as content for the students but i have been i created a youtube channel where i do create music content for the students to look at um online for those that can okay thank you christine uh, you involved in, in teaching your kids virtual learning and how do they apply it in, in um, their everyday life as far as schooling i am and it has been a challenge uh the first maybe week or so it was a really big delay with the program in itself that we were getting and then just the whole adjustment period of you know how the teachers can find ways to teach the child and get the work to them and us as parents to make time in the day to be able to sit down and you know follow along with your child because usually the teachers in the classroom and they can help them so now we got to sit right next to them and help them and actually learn all of this that was going on and and a lot of the teachings is like common core so in a sense if you're not 100 and like you know as involved as you can be and sat down and spoke to a teacher and had them teach you that yourself is very hard yeah. I, I can understand what christine is saying because this pandemic what we're in it's new for all of us and we had to think of alternative ways to keep educating our scholars right. and the challenge for us is a combination of a lot of things that my school uh seems to be coming up with solutions first of all was uh a lot of the teachers who used the google classroom right there was some mm -hmm. teachers we had to bring them up to speed as far as giving them workshops and working along with them so they could understand the application that needs to be used in order to teach the scholars, right? Uh, the other challenge also, some of our scholars did not have their own laptops, right? Yeah, so our right. school was able, thank God, to provide laptops to our scholars 
that they were able now to participate and be involved with you know the learning as far as the remote learning. So those were some of our beginning hurdles that uh, we had uh, to deal with. And I think as of now, if I was to rate that, I think we were doing a good job, like at 95%. I'm just talking about as far as getting the laptops, because right now, even today, if a student says, I don't have a laptop, right? We take those students' names, we give it to the principal and our parent coordinator, and we start reaching out to those kids to make sure that they get laptops. And I believe, I don't want to dominate, I think about two or three weeks ago, and it was very brave of our parent coordinator, Mrs. Kras Castro, give her kudos, and our tech coordinator, um, they both came to the school and they handed out maybe about 60 laptops in that one day. Oh, wow. You know? Wow. Right. Okay. That was really a phenomenal, you know, task wow. they took on, but we understood what that need is to make our kids succeed in this, you know, what's going on right now. Just to piggyback on that, I think the biggest challenge also for teachers and parents is just the simple fact that uh, the preparation wasn't, uh, I would say, efficient. It, it, it caught us all off guard and the technology was never proven to be tested to work. So think about states like Pennsylvania or other states that really don't have enough revenues to give a laptop. New York is lucky yes. because they have resources where they can provide uh, tools. Like for example, what happens in a household that there's four kids and they only have one yes. device. Yep. So yes. it, it, is, it is challenging. And again, we're not, we're not trying to throw the stone at anyone, but the question is, how do we rectify? Because now we're in it. And right. unfortunately it has been almost like a, like a, like a test that we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, right. but now let's progress with it. And which leads us to, to the next question. Um, uh, where was virtual learning in the teacher's planning prior to the pandemic? Where teachers trained, and, and this is all prior to the pandemic, how is this teaching mechanism helping our kids? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> from my perspective, prior to, you know, this situation, um, I teach technology. So I will, I'm a little bit more technology suave than maybe the next teacher who might teach social studies. And I'm not sliding them or anything, but uh, quite a few of our teachers was already using technology prior to this, like Google Classroom. That's one of the biggest uh, applications that we use. We were already using the Google Classroom where we were assigning projects in there, we give exams in there, so the students were familiar with that. Now, even with myself, I might have been like maybe 80% Google Classroom suave. I had to learn that 20%. I never did meets before. I didn't start doing the meet until we had to do the remote learning, so I had to go to training to that. Right, so they're always now they're showing us how to take attendance on it. Also, I'm learning how to communicate and send out uh, communication to parents and students to the Google Classroom. So it's still a learning progress as we're moving forward. But I think it's all for the good. What about what about you, Rachel? What what is your experience with uh, virtual learning uh, prior to the pandemic? Were you were you, did you learn this? Uh, were you trained? And 
How is this helping our kids, this new mechanism? So I feel like, especially in the elementary school level, um, a lot of how we're trained to teach, you know, you don't want to do everything on the computer with the kids. There's a lot of, you know, um, you try to get the kids actively engaged in the learning process, which it doesn't always involve using technology. Um, I would say prior to this, though, there have been a lot of apps, applications, like Ms. Geraldine said, um, but their communication tools, journals, like C the Seesaw app, um, is an online journal which allows the students to post their work as well as it's a form of communication for the parents. I know my school we use an app called Class Dojo which is again a communication app that the parents can communicate through the teachers almost like text message. You can post videos up there, you can post um, schoolwork, pictures, things like that. So I feel like moving into the virtual learning process I had some peers in my school who were using Google Classroom with their students, but then there were a lot of teachers, you know, you're teaching younger grades, like kindergarten, first grade. Um, some of those students, especially in a school where it's not a one-to-one -one ratio with laptops, they're not on the laptop all the time. Right. There was a, um, a learning curve there mm. virtually. My kids don't actually go to school in the district that I work in. So they were given laptops and the district had everything laid out really neat and nice. And what they used something called Schoology. And when my kids logged on, they knew exactly what to do. But mind you, they're in a school where they're on laptops every day. They have their own laptop. They each were given a laptop, a Chromebook when they came home. So I feel like it's definitely letting kids understand the parents using the technology more um but i know from where i'm coming from we weren't using a lot of computers especially me a music teacher right. we were very hands-on instruments there wasn't too much time spent on a computer right but now now here we are um in this pandemic and we're trying to figure out um the the correlation between teachers and students and parents. Um, the, some of the parents aren't as technologically savvy as they need to be when the um, student is trying to do their homework or the teacher, I mean, uh, or the teacher is assigning the student a project to do. How does the parent get more involved or how, is, how can the parent um, more familiarize herself with the many programs that different school systems are using? Well, I feel as a parent, it, it, it is really hard because there's a lot of programs out there that are being used and I myself are not too computer savvy, you know, and I have my older daughter, sometimes she works me through it, sometimes my husband looks at me and he has to work me through it, and I just personally, they, sometimes when you're giving these programs, the child does know them. You know, they're, they're mm -hmm. into, this is their internet world. Right. We're given, here's your user ID and here's your password and go into the program and this is, you know, figure it out what your child's doing. <laughs> figure it out, right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and sometimes that can be a little hard and some schools do offer some computer training programs. Sometimes it's on a Saturday, but some, most of the people, you know, some people work six days a week. And then sometimes the hours that they're given these programs available, they're not feasible hours for those who work. Right. So 
it's kind of every day you're a sponge no matter how old you are you just got to go into it you got to fiddle around with the program and you kind of got to figure it out yourself you know and yeah. then if you do have any questions you do have the majority of teachers out there they are willing to communicate with you through text through email you know some of them even give you their personal numbers so if you have any questions they are there okay you know, so I get it. But Gerald, um, Geraldine, um, let me ask you a question. Since you are one who deals with um, the practical application of computers during your learning, during your um, teaching process, do every student have a computer? And if they do, or most of them, how does, how does the correlation between you and the student and the parent, what is the hookup right there? Because a lot of times the student, um, or the parent needs more education as far as that's concerned. So you're talking about right now, where we are right now in this right pandemic, now. Yeah. going right now. Okay. So I think um, as far as right now, um, my school sends out massive, or I don't say massive, they send out a lot of communication uh, through our uh, parent coordinator, Mrs. Castro. Um, I think uh, she gets involved. Also, our guidance counselors get involved. They send out oh, a lot nice. of communications. You know, they, they're on it. And when we come across any situation, say, for example, um, if we have a student that's not attending the online remote classroom, right? There was a list that we put the kid's name on there. We reach out to the guidance counselor, right? me myself would actively you know get involved for that parent to find out you know basically what's going on why this child is not attending the class from that you might hear now my child does not have a laptop okay or whatever the issue the child is not understanding so the child shut down there might be also some other things that's been basically going on but our goal is to under, let them know that we're here and we're understanding. So what is your needs? Whatever your need is that the school can help to fulfill that need, we're going to do our best, especially when it comes around to the learning. If the parent, again, uh, is saying, you know what, I need this help to help my child because I don't understand what it is that my child needs to understand, right? What can we do to help bring that parent up to speed. And again, as Rachel said, I think just really being involved. Now, Rachel happens to be, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Christine happens to be the parent of one of my students. Oh. And I give her kudos because she's very much involved. I, I think that when I'm in there projecting and teaching, and at first I didn't get, she had made a comment. I said, oh, okay, mom is in the background. That's a good thing. But it's showing me that she wants to see what's going on in this remote learning. How is the teacher executing this learning? What it is that's involved, make sure that my child is staying involved. So she's more of an involved parent. I'm not saying everyone isn't, but I can only give my experience. So from her now, we're going to develop that relationship. And that's the key word here. That's now we're developing word, yeah. that relationship. <laughs> and then from that relationship, now she can honestly say 
you know, what it is that she's feeling as, you know, a, a, a parent, you know, well, Miss Fredericks, I mean, you said this, or you said that, until after class. We can have that discussion after class so we can get that mean. But that's the type of relationships that we're building with our parents. If we don't know what's going on in their head and that open communication is there, how can we help them? I, I, I have a, I have a actually a- Maybe we have to take a quick break. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, so we'll be back with the 13th floor. back with the 13th floor listen to that and today's topic we're talking about distance learning and COVID-19. Well I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to follow up with a question and as a matter of fact I, I would love to hear uh, first from Mark and then the rest of the of, of our guests about like how important is parent involvement and accountability because uh, in order for a teacher to be successful they need of the discipline of the parent, they need of the accountability and work as a team with teacher, parent, mm -hmm. and child. Yeah, so, so how relevant is for parents to not only hold themselves accountable, hold their kids accountable, but also form a team with the teacher. It seems to that it seems like we had a huge disconnection between the uh, we see a lot of pointing fingers of the teachers, my my kid is not learning because the teacher's not teaching well or vice versa. So how, how, how important like is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how important is connecting and also accountability for parents, teachers, and kids? Let's start with you, Rachel. Um, this is an interesting question because I, I feel like I've seen one side as a parent and then the other side from the That's teaching what? perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a parent, sometimes you feel that, you know, when you see a grade or something that the teacher has given your child and you feel like they should have got more, um, that communication is key because mm -hmm. I, as a parent, have called the teacher up because I just didn't understand the grading scale that they were using. I didn't understand why my child was getting this grade when I felt like he should be getting a different grade. But at, talking to that teacher, I started to understand what is her expectations in the classroom and that I need to let my kids know that you have to rise to the occasion of what that teacher's expectations are. Um, teachers as well, it's important for us to have a relationship with the parents that is not always just contacting them when we have a problem with that child, contacting them when their child has done something good in the classroom Excessive. because yeah. I feel like a lot of that struggle between the parent and the teacher, especially when in terms of like maybe a child that is having a discipline problem in the classroom comes from the parent just at some point they're like, okay, I don't know what to tell you. My kid is doing this in the classroom. You keep calling me and I don't know what to do. So letting them know that we as teachers want what's best for the kid and as a parent, you want, you do want what's best for your kid as well. So trying to, like Ms. Geraldine said, those relationships are so important because letting that parent know positive experiences that their kid is having as well allows you that doorway. So when you are having a problem, they're going to be more receptive to what you're saying and more open to supporting you from home as well. Because 
I've been in situations where the kids are like, well, my mom said, you know, I don't have to listen to you. So then you get into that struggle. But if you take the time to let them know, you know what, find something positive that that kid did mm-hmm. and share it with that parent. And even oh, if it was, they sat quiet for five minutes in class, <laughs> you know, find something and it'll help that relationship go much smoother. So it is important, if, especially as a parent, if your child is struggling with something, you want to be able to communicate with the teacher and know what you can do to help your child from home. Okay. Um, your answer to that question? What do you speak? Um, I just, um, you know, I think that um, there's a lot, prior to this pandemic, there's really a lot that's going on in all schools, all across, uh, you know, here, no matter what state, you know. And I just think that sometimes parents can be more involved. Say, for example, when we have like parents' nights and things like that, or if we have, I'm not even especially events or whatever, I think that if parents start getting involved in those things, you'll start to really know and feeling the pulse of what's going on in that school. Because now you're connecting with other parents, you're building, um, you know, you're building, there's a collaboration now, you can speak from parent to parent, right? Um, you also, when we have these events, you have a lot of the administrators there, right? So now you can speak firsthand to these administrators where basically whatever's going on. So I think if parents really start to get involved and really what's going on in the school, whatever they're offering, just come out, mm-hmm. come out, be involved. You'll see, you'll hear, your voice makes, parents' voices make a big difference. And do you believe that Rachel and Christine, that you believe that parents' voices really do make a big impact and can make changes? They have the power. Yes. They have the power. And I don't know if they really truly understand how much power that they have to say, I can have a voice to say this can be, it can be done better this way, this way. I know how my child learns. Take right. some advice, take some of this, take some of that, and let's run with it, build a team, right? We're all in this together, and let's make the school better, more successful than what it is. So everybody has to be involved. It's a partnership. Okay. What about you, Christine? What's your opinion? I think it is a huge, huge importance for parents to be involved no matter their circumstance because sometimes there's a lot of single moms or fathers or that sometimes you know their parents are holding down to maybe three jobs or maybe a demanding you know their job demands a lot of them but as i personally feel that we were our kids teachers our number one kids teachers that's it mm-hmm. you know and then once they go once i don't look at the school system as a partial babysitting you know situation i look at it i'm giving you my child you can now teach what is now going on in the world and what they need to learn to become successful because times change everything changes so once you hand your child over to someone and say okay here you are for eight hours i as a parent even if it's a 
on a lunch break or, you know, while I'm cooking dinner, while mixing the rice, let me dial the teacher's number, let me send a text and let me see what's going on. I try to be as involved as I can. And I know for a lot of other parents that who have multiple children, it's hard when you're going back and forth to so many different teachers, but it just takes that determination and it takes that will. And if you have that within yourself, the child feeds from that. So yes. they grow mm -hmm. and they now have determination yes. and yes. will. And if you one of those who stay quiet, then maybe your child will also stay quiet. Like, thank God yeah. in my house, my son was raised to be kind of like free will spirited. He acts as everything is a question, you know, and it has to be answered legit. Mm -hmm. um, he's never been talked to as a child. We always looked at him as another little person. You know, so we always, I, I, I just don't know how to say it because I don't want to offend, you know, there are some people who try their best and maybe they have learning disabilities as well, but um, you are an example to your child. So if you involved and you are a voice and they see that some way, somehow, whatever it is that you do make a difference, that's what you're growing. Oh, and yes. I think that's very important. You know, they are a product of their environment. If they see that you don't care and you're not taking interest, mm. why are they going They won't to? care either. You know, like. So it's very relevant to feed a kid's curiosity also with the guidelines of example and discipline because uh, most kids get the morals, the, 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 the values, all their values, their ethics, they get it from home. And sure. those values they bring into school. And the school, what they do is try to build a community between teachers, parents, and kids where they can learn how to socialize even better. So yeah. when they go yeah. out in the world, they understand yeah. what yeah. and being Absolutely. a team player means. Um, and and uh, I don't know if Mr. Best has another question, so I'll well, let him lead on this one. <laughs> uh, thanks, Linda. Well, but, um, he hit it right on the head. Um, there are, there's a, a, a definite correlation between the public schools and the private schools, okay? I have a granddaughter that goes to private school. And then I have another granddaughter, uh, which happens to go to a public school. And the difference is huge. I mean, astronomically huge. Because my daughter who's, my granddaughter who's in the private school, she has classes from 8.30 to 3.30. Okay, and she has she has ten minute breaks, um, I think, for each hour or something like that, or whatever it is. And then my the other granddaughter that goes to the public schools, it's all willy nilly. You know? Why is willy nilly? What's well, willy nilly? I'm ready to go there. Yeah, <laughs> I know your public school teacher, Miss <laughs> uh, Fredericks. I know. I bet you. Meaning, meaning that you know, um, some days she go to school or some days she don't. And the reason why is because her learning, she has a learning disability somewhere or disconnect. All right. The, the private school will immediately call her mother. Hey, she's not online. It's 835 and she's not online. Mm, right. The, okay. The yeah. public schools won't do that. They'll let you be absent from your class and then notify the parents saying, okay, your, your child missed the class. But that's like four days later. So now... Well, how, how uh, where is that disconnect becomes relevant as far as the child's 
um, learning virtual, uh, uh, this, this virtual learning thing. Because it takes a lot of discipline, first of all, in order, to you, in order for the child to adapt to it. Because it, you have to be there. You have a specific time to be there. You have a specific uh, subject to do. You have a specific thing to do. A lot of people aren't into, you know, the discipline. So how do you, how do you, Ms. Geraldine? <laughs> I like you. Well, what, <laughs> okay, Ms. Gazette. I think one of, and that's a good, fair uh, question. I think every Monday at my school, we have faculty meetings, right? And we also have an informal one on Friday. So teachers share different things, what's going on with them. And one of the things that came up was that we had found that quite uh, some of our students wasn't attending the remote learning, right? And how do we get around that? And I'd already said they had made the list and we're making the calls and some, you know, with the guidance counselors and the AP and whatnot, they were doing that reach, which was good. But I found that in some of my classes, even though with the reach out and the communication and everything was there, I still felt that they came, but then they disappeared again, right? So and I'm saying, you know, what's going on here? So one of my colleagues said one of her strategies that she used was like 10 minutes before the class or half an hour before the class starts, she would send out a blast email to the parents. And right. the students saying, you have class today, please, I expect to, you know, you to participate, be there. And uh, Christine, tell me if I'm wrong, because I teach her son on Tuesday, and Tuesday was my first time really doing that strategy. I sent out that last email, I think class starts at 8.54, something like that. I think by 8.30, I sent out that blast email. And sure enough, they started trickling in. But what I'm saying was that now I'm reaching out to the parent directly to say, right. wake up your child, they belong in class. Right. This class is every Tuesday, it doesn't change, right? So now I'm starting to actively pick up the phone and have that communication, you know, what's going on? And I think one of the things, and I don't want to get too far in it, one of the things, one of the strategies I decided to do was, and I'm going to go back to what Rachel has stated, just picking up the phone to say something positive or how are you doing right now in this pandemic? Because you really don't know what's going on in the household that might prevent that child from coming online. And I think once you open that door to build that type of communication and respect, to let them know I'm caring, I'm understanding, you're going to get a better response as far as them now saying, okay, you know what? This is what's going on. I get it. Now my child is going to be more in school or my child can't because of A, B, C, D. And if there is some sort of crisis, right? How can we help you? What can we do? We have kindness counselors, right? We have other staff members that are able to reach out and help. So those are some of the things that I'm doing, you know, to try to build that as far as making sure that the kid is, um, you know, there to get the learning. The learning has to be there. Ger Geraldine, real, real quick, uh, a very strong statement. Uh, 
But in, in a world where, like, for example, if we start looking, one of the number one reasons why American people lose their jobs is time and attendance. So obviously, uh, there's an opportunity for growth from a young age to learn how to be punctual. To learn how. Uh, so, mm -hmm. the, no. for example, I went, I went to a military high school. If you weren't there five minutes before, you couldn't go in class. So at what point do we... Because we, we need to be, discipline requires flexibility. Mm -hmm. you know, so it requires to be recompensating and it also requires for you to discipline, to really let them know if you don't come on time, you're not gonna be able to come in. So at what point are, are we are teaching our kids that there are consequences to their action? And I think that's one of the biggest opportunities, perhaps Rachel, uh, can can give me an opinion on that, and, and because it, it, yeah. again, accountability is what makes yeah. us better, and we fall short a lot of times in discipline accountability because you can come, you can drop a kid at nine oh five when school starts at eight fifty five. All you do is sign, and that's it. There is no other action that leads into something that is more like cutting that will teach you that there's consequences to these opportunities. So Rachel, I'll pass this, 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 uh, this question to you, if you can be so kind. Yeah, particularly since you have, particularly since you have younger ch uh, um, child education, um, that's very important to start teaching them at that age. So please mm -hmm. elaborate for us. Uh, well, first we have to take a quick break. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we'll be back shortly. Okay, everybody, we're back with the 13th floor. Listen to a vet. Uh, we're here with Rachel Summers, Geraldine Fredericks, and Christine Barbosa. We are talking about distance learning in the COVID 19 environment. If you have any questions, send it to WBN Radio at WeBelongNetwork.org or Facebook, Lehman Concourse, or YouTube, TBJ Radio. Uh, now we're back with uh, Rachel. You were saying before the break. Okay, so I kind of had. had two answers to that. So first, um, as far as accountability, um, a lot of schools are going towards, I don't know if you've ever heard it called PBIS, Programming for Discipline. Yes, so it's yes. positive behavior interventions and supports. So yes. my school is one, my kids' school is one as well. And laying out the expectations, making sure that the students are fully aware of the expectations, um, is one of the number one things that you teach the kids. What are your expectations for walking in the hallway? What are your expectations for learning time? Different areas of the building. Now, with that, also a lot of there were a lot of confusions when we first started doing this program as to can you discipline the kids because it was trying to um, take away certain behaviors without focusing on negative discipline. Mm -hmm. However you still had to have a consequence. It didn't mean that there wasn't a consequence. So trying, and I feel my school has really done a good job with this, is being fair and consistent with your consequence for any type of unwanted behavior. So with elementary school students, as far as them coming to the class late, I mean, they get walked by their teacher anywhere. However, 
having expectations on behavior or what how they're expected to do something being consistent with the consequence whether it may be you've lost that privilege or your seat needs to be moved because you were talking to your neighbor the whole time um, or you're getting a phone call home if they know that they're going to get a consequence for that behavior eventually you will see the behavior change but the program isn't meant to change the behavior with consequences you know you praise right. the behaviors that you want to see right so, right wow johnny he he was walking today he was walking down the hall not running good job walking johnny and then it sounds crazy but kids see that they want the compliment and you start to see some of those behaviors change oh she complimented him for walking let me walk so she could tell me i did a good job too positive so, reinforcement yes, right. yes. Right. but i think as far as far as like when you were saying kids not logging onto their classroom work i actually got a email um, from my son's district this earlier this week and I don't know how it is in New York, but for Virginia, they've done away with their standardized testing that they usually do at the end of the year. They've done away with that. And in the email we received, it stated that students being promoted to the next grade, as long as they complete assignments that the teacher right. has assigned yeah. them to yeah. do. And I noticed when we went into this fourth parking period that the workload was a lot less than what they were asking them to do previously. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing though? So the, so the workload can be stressful in a way. Yeah. Uh, and speaking, mm -hmm. speaking about stress and just to get back into, you know, this whole pandemic affecting our teaching is, you know, we have a lot of essential workers. I believe Christine was one of them. She was a, you know, essential worker. How do they balance the demands of work and virtual learning with their students? Because now we have to put ourselves in, in that situation, that scenario. How do you balance that if you're working eight hours and you have a six-year-old child that requires, you know, supervision and, and management in order for them to get their work done? That, I think it's a very unique situation. Or they have multiple kids, three, four kids in one household. For essential work, it must be hard. So I want to hear everyone's opinion on this. Well, as for me, um, my, in my situation, my son, he's already 12 years old, but I can talk and for the situation for my sister, uh, she has a seven year old and she has a four year old at home. So she has multiple children, you know, far of age and learning different things. Um, when it came to me personally being home, I would, if I wasn't making it in time that my son was able to be there with me, I've always have been fortunate that if either I work through the day and my husband works in evening hours, so there's always a parent around, okay? Mm. Um, for those who do not have that opportunity, maybe their caregiver at the time, you know, can help them. Maybe they stay with a neighbor or they have, they go to a friend's house. A lot of children, usually after school, they go to a library and they'll sit in the group. You know, now that now because of the pandemic, you can't do that. There is a lot of programs that if the child themselves have a problem with a question, there is an option of examples and they work through the questions and the problems with the child. Um, as far as having smaller children, that yes, is very demanding, but a lot of schools offer 
programs like um, iReady or BrainProp. And sometimes what the teachers do is they're there, they have like pre-recorded videos. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they actually, the, the mom or the father, whomever is at home can actually go back and watch the video, get the whole work down through it, get taught by the teacher themselves, and then kind of overview what the child has already done. And when they notice that there's something that the child needs help in, then they have to find the time to do that for their child. Whether it sounds as weird as now, hey, I came home at nine o'clock, my kid was already, you know, homework was done. I just fed them dinner, put them to bed, and that was it to get ready for the next day. I looked over it. I had to wake my kid up at 1130 and say, listen, we have to fix this. Do you understand what's going on? Here's some water. Here's some chocolate. Get up so this way we can explain and, you know, work through this together. So it just comes through a whole bunch of teamwork, um, sacrifice. And there's where there's a will, there's a way, you know, so to speak. So if, if there's not enough time in your day to do it, then when you come home and you feel like you don't have that time, there's always this couple of minutes that you can take. Let me not take too long in the shower because I know I have to overlook this program or I have to check what my child did. I have to check their book bag or whatever. And that's how we're going to make it. Because like Miss Fredericks, Miss Summers, everyone here, we're all in it together. So in order for all of this to work, we have to work in it together because we were not rightfully prepared. Right. Okay, but you know what? You made unexpected. A, yeah. You made a unique point about the parenting working, all right, the parentage. Um, most households, um, either single parent or uh, two parent households, are working. Most of them are working at the very same time that the kid is supposed to be going to school. Okay, so now you as teachers and you as a parent, um, how do you get around that? How, how do you figure that here's this kid now sitting home giving hooky parties? Because I remember when I was in school, <laughs> it was hooky parties then, you know? <laughs> you know, well, you don't have a parent there, so. I think that's why a lot of the districts are realizing that they had to decrease the workload and mm-hmm. the requirements to move on to the next grade level are nowhere near as strict as what it normally would have been because they understand that every what's going on in every house is different. And right. really for some parents, it may be almost impossible to sit there. I know for my first grader, I have to sit over him. I've had to teach him stuff. It's taken hours each day of homeschooling. And I just couldn't imagine if I had to physically go to work, being able you know, to do that with him. And then, so I feel like a lot of the districts are realizing that this unfortunately is a situation we're at. And a lot of teachers are going to be playing catch up when the next school year runs rolls around. Right. I, I, I also believe that um, there's a couple of things that, you know, it's just going through my head. I just think that, um, you know, prior to this pandemic, my school, right, we had after school program. It was called the Riverdale uh, Housing and it's still going on, but it's an online virtual thing where they were there we had that in place to help the kids with the homework or whatever, whatever needs it were. There was also activities after school and this program ended uh, about six o'clock, just about the time when the parents were coming home. Now that we're in this pandemic, this program is still going on. Now, I don't know how many kids are more involved, but there are a couple of teachers I know in my school, they started their own after school help program 
so kids can get additional help. Wow. How does the parent really get involved with this? Wow. Um, they're sending out the blast emails, you know, to let them know, because we don't want the child to fail. We want them to come out with some understanding. You know what I mean? What did you really learn? What is it? I mean, we, the workload, like uh, what Rachel was saying, it might be a little less out, and I can even see that on my end also. But the bottom line is, whatever task that we're giving them, we want to make sure that they have comprehension and understanding. Going back to the PBIS also, it's hard now for us to, I'm not saying it's hard, it's a challenge for us to think of creative ways to still have that in a remote learning environment. Mm -hmm. Because before physically you're there and we're able to model, we're able to actually talk to the person, the child or the scholar to say, hey, you did something fantastic, but let me make a suggestion, A, B, C, D. Now in this remote learning, and I'm going to go back to what Dell said, the accountability. How do we get the child to take the accountability? You need to be here in this remote learning environment. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, teaching the PBIS of understanding that this is the acceptable behavior or attitude that you should have, you know, in this type of environment. And it's a challenge. I think this is one of the last things I want to say, just wrapping, you know, bringing this all to a head for me. I think what's happening right now is laying the cobblestones of how uh, the schools really are going to be teaching in the future. In the it's, future, it's yes. change for yes. us. In Europe, they've already been doing a lot of this online stuff, okay? Uh, but for us here in the United States, right, if you weren't like teaching your child at home where they do have that online learning, I'm just talking about the school itself, the teacher myself. If I'm in this system in another five to 10 years, I really believe in my heart, 80% or 75% of our teaching is going to be doing what we're doing now. Um, once we get through all those little kinks that we're going through right now, we're having these discussions and all that, once everything is ironed out, this is the direction of the future of our educational system. That's yeah, my Ger guess. Geraldine. I wanted to ask expert. a question. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I just wanted to ask a question real quick. A couple of my friends who are teachers and also parents, uh, especially with this uh, online <coughs> environment and having, I guess, more tech-savvy kids as their students, mm -hmm. there's been a rise in cheating. Because like, you know, the parents would- Rise in what, cheating, cheating, you said? Yeah, yeah, cheating. Like they'll have, they think that their kids are all, you know, in the room and they're emailing and texting each other the answers because they're all in a group <laughs> that the parents don't know about. And then, you know, and then now every single kid has the same answers from the smartest kid in the school or the, the smartest kid in the class. Uh, so, is, and cool. also I wanted to piggyback on consequences. Like how, is that, something that's you starting to see a lot of or and also how do you combat that like how can you you know because i mean it's again this is we this is a unique situation you're in and you're trying to teach everybody and everybody's coming up with the same answers even though they're correct you know um i think <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> it is right very good question you know, I feel like if you looked at like the college online learning model, uh -huh. you do so much writing. So it's hard to like, it's not just a yes or like a one quick little answer. Like that's how they get to like 
know that you knew something is you have to write you know an essay on something a black like um have you ever seen those blackboard posts where the teacher like you need to write 200 word comment i know that's like that forces you to have to write something you can't just copy what someone else wrote because you just look like you copied it so i feel like you know younger kids my kids don't have a cell phone they're not texting their friends but i i See that with the older kids high school and middle school doing something like that and maybe having them have to write I know when I'm in college online there's so much writing and it makes it hard to just copy someone's copy someone's answer well I think with the writing strategy and I just the reason why I laugh because I just had the situation yesterday with my 11th grade class I had given them a short response uh, uh, assignment to do and it was just two paragraphs with five to six sentences in each paragraph. And what I had found was that they had copied and pasted the answer. Everybody had the same basic answer. And quite naturally, I started taking off points. And um, to really get around that, and I had explained to them, first of all, if you're using someone else's words, you have to cite your references. That's yeah. number one. Yeah. So I had four points for that. But I also said this, your voice wasn't there. When I say your voice, whatever you're writing about, you didn't say, I agree, I disagree, or I can use this concept and I can apply it to this. This is a business course I'm teaching. As an entrepreneur, I could use this concept and I do in my business do A, B, C, D. So to combat that more to a certain degree is, if you have students writing, if you're saying, I want to hear your opinion okay your thoughts your ideas then that's how you're going to counteract that cheating to a certain degree because somewhere along there they're going to have to use their own words they're going to have to express how what they understand from that and my response to them was i can't assess you on somebody else's words i can't right. wait on somebody else's words are not your words Yes. Give me your words. So those are how you can get around that to a certain degree. And Ger Geraldine, it's just to add to that is also um, the opportunity to uh, express the different types of intelligence a human being has. Mm -hmm. For example, and, and one of the things I've been a big uh, advocate is uh, memorization has been such a old technique we've been using in school mm. for so long mm -hmm. and we haven't developed a system to really input more to to i would say to um to bring the best of the students is to challenge all types of intelligence like yeah. for example right now through virtual learning uh you know we live also in time of stress there's there's mm. kids that one of their parents died, their grandparent died, a family member died, and they have that stress. So, and schools are, for what I hear, they're still giving a large quantity of work. So what is more important? Is it quantity or quality? Because quality would bring your creativity out. It, it, will, make you, it will make you think more and elaborate. Thinking, yeah. So, but if you give quantity, it's repetitive and memorizing things. So what do you think, what, and this is for all, all of you guys, what you think it's more essential right now with the remote learning, quantity or quality of learning? 
Train to standard, not to prime. Before we answer that, I need to take one uh, last break, and then we could come back and uh, answer this, and then wrap it up. Okay, uh, we're back with the 13th floor. Listen to Yvette. If you have any questions, you can send it to WBN Radio at WeBelongNetwork.org. Go to Facebook at Lehman Concourse or TVJ Radio Lehman Concourse. And uh, uh, Rachel, you were about to answer the final question? Yes. Um, I was going to say, train to standard, not to time. I definitely think the quality is more important than the quantity. And I know my administrator for my building, before we left school, when he was advising teachers on creating lesson packets, learning packets for the students. He was like, it needs to be meaningful work, not busy work. Mm -hmm. um, it needs to be something that is going to help the children learn, not just giving them stuff to say that they've done problem or they've completed a certain amount of work. It had to be stuff that's meaningful because like you said, in a time like this, we don't know what's going on in someone's house. They right. it may not, they don't may not have the time or they may not be in the right mindset or have the right environment to really do their best learning. So, you know, loading students with a lot of work just to feel like oh, I did my job is, is can be pointless. Counterproductive, yes. Yes. Geraldine? Well, I'm going to focus on my 12th graders because I teach 12th graders also. So you know where their heads are at. We want them to graduate. They're looking to graduate. They're antsy. With my 12th graders, they come to, they come to my remote learning every day. I have no problems with their attendance. But again, they're at that accountability because they want to graduate. But the work that they're having right now has to be built around uh, evidence of what they have learned from the whole school year. Because with my 12th graders, we use portfolios with them, all right, for this specialized program that they're in. So it's the quality of work uh, given evidence of what they did, how they learned it, and meaning what knowledge did they get from that? So the quality really is what builds the skills for the students, because we're building skills, communication skills, writing skills, personal skills, uh, 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 interactive skills. All of those skills are important for them when they go in. I don't want to say when you go in the real world, because they're already in the e real world. But when they go out there to start to forge and make lives for themselves, that they have the confidence from what they've learned, right? They have also the hope, right? Uh, to be able to go forward from looking back from the time they came into this educational system and to the time that they're leaving now, that they've come out there with the quality of work that's gonna make them the true man and woman that they want to be to accomplish whatever type of goals that they have in their life that they want to achieve. Okay. Your hopes and dreams, Christine, for your kids. My, um, I just want my kids to be the best that they can be. Like my daughter, she was in college and she decided to go in as one thing and came out something else. You know, you can always change 
what mm -hmm. you first mm -hmm. saw that you had expectations for yourself of and change it in the middle of everything as long as you're happy with yourself and what you're giving out makes a difference to yourself to whomever you're doing it for as far as my son sometimes with boys is a little more harder because they're, they, they're focused and <laughs> you know it is true because you know yes. they're focused and to drift and they want to just do so much so i mm -hmm. just my goal for my son is Puppy, do your best in everything that you can do, you know? And when you find something that you like, stick to it. And stay focused and set a goal for yourself. And okay. reach that goal, you right. know? Well, I have one last question, and we're going to try to wrap this up. And let's try to make it short and sweet. I want to know, what happens to those students that are required special needs, social skill set education, and any behavioral therapies could virtual learning be successful with those? Um, I, I do know a parent who homeschools her son and he has a learning disability. And I think if the parent is willing to put in the work, if they set their child's situation up with what they need, because homeschooling for people outside of the pandemic homeschooling world, you know, those students are not just in the house all day long, they go out, to field trips, they go to a group um, at the library and do something with other kids who are homeschooling. So if, for example, your child needed speech, a speech therapy, and in the school setting, there's a speech therapist in the building who they would see, but at homeschooling, they might go to the speech therapist's office and see them. I do know um, of one speech therapist who was doing online virtual um, therapy with some of her clients. So I think it is possible if the parent can set up to where their children's needs are going to be met. Mm -hmm. um, not all of those needs, I don't believe, can be done over the computer. Like if you were getting physical therapy, um, we have a physical therapist at our school that meets with these students. They can't. That would be difficult to do um, okay. virtually. Unless, okay. Yeah. Right, but if they well, set themselves up, they could, I think the parent can homeschool. Yeah, I think um, for for us here um, in New York City, we have um, IEPs and so forth for students yes. that are, we say gifted. We like to say that it's gifted. And we have mandates that have to be followed. Um, I just got an email from um, one of the IEP teachers yesterday for an evaluation of one of my 11th graders and I had to fill out this form online. I think it was like five pages talk about how is my how is the student progressing during the online learning and I had to give my true assessment just happened the child is coming the scholar is coming to class she's keeping up she's doing what she has to do now as far as the parent involvement um, I was told that we we're going to have an online meeting with the parent that is just as we were in the building if the parent came in for the call it the try meeting I think that's what they call it but it will be an online one now, there's a couple of my students that really have like the power that has to be with them. The parent, the para and I uh, forged a, a, a relationship where she said, well, you know, with this online learning, I'm going to have to be teaching him because he can't really participate on the online learning with the rest of the students in the classroom, whatever his IEP or whatever the way it was set up. Mm -hmm. So I gave her assignments 
that was scaled down for what he was able to do and she would be able to teach him that she gives me back the work which i'm still waiting for i will grade it and give some more work so what i'm saying is for those kids that have special needs or special learning or whatever being online or being working with that power online we have those things in place already to uh, help those kids because there's mandates that we have to follow through the board of bed regardless of this uh, situation that's going on and it has to be followed I, I think i think the biggest challenge is for kids with autism they require mm -hmm. coaching in the moment they require mm -hmm. uh leadership by example they require they require the presence of that person right, right. next to them coaching them and teaching mm -hmm. them on how to overcome their their obstacles so right. for example they they have they need to touch things they, so that's the part that i think is the most challenging uh when it comes to special education that they kind of like they, yes they kind of like blend it into like re, like if it's a normal virtual uh, uh remote learning when behaviors are to be coached behaviors require of an energy presence or the person present to make them feel that they're they're you know they're present like I can't do this because he's this person is teaching me how to do certain things. Right, and, I, I can't do that right. I and, can't um, do that right. And, and I no. think most I, I have spoken to a lot of special education teachers, and their biggest challenges is is that, but also they uh, you know they they I would say they have uh, an opportunity to also create a program that can work successfully through yeah. uh virtual sure. learning because sure. can, yeah. anyone can complain but when you complain you're, you're putting all the plans all the problems out now if you were to solve the jigsaw of all the problems then you come with the most beautiful thing which is the solution okay but unfortunately this has got to be yeah. short and sweet okay? yeah we're out of time i'm gonna just say that i was trying not to cut you off but yeah we, we're about to no, be that's fine we're about to be evicted from the premises <laughs> Yeah, so I'd like to uh, thank the guests, uh, Rachel Summers, Geraldine Fredericks, and Christina Barbosa. Awesome, great conversation. Uh, this has been the 13th floor, Listen to Yvette, WBM Production. Wendell, Mr. Best, awesome. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Been signing out. Thank you, everyone. Nice meeting everyone. Thank you, all of you. Stay safe and blessed. You too. Yes. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Thank you.